don't worry, guys. There's going to be no shortage of Jonah Gold's Red Delicious uh, Macintosh. Golden Delicious. Ambrosia. <laughs> Golden Delicious. Uh, all right, I'm just going to list apples till it fades out. Uh, Granny Smith. Uh, Spartan. That's a good bit, right? Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> you can tell a good bit by its length and refusal to end. Yeah. And the more you have to talk about it. Yeah. Welcome, Paragon Marathon, to part two of Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. And I'm here too, little stinky yippin. Oh, I got my turnip cart, it's still full of poo. And turnips and maybe Lancelot sometimes. Am I a dwarf? Am I a surf? Who's to say? My lord, you choose, not I. I have no, <laughs> no. I have no right. I, have no I wish agency. we hadn't invited Stinky Ippin sampling onto this podcast. Too late. You are arriving yeah. my turnip cart. <laughs> we can now boast that we have the most authentic medieval podcast. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I'm not allowed to do it around the house anymore. I'm not allowed to shoot the medieval. <laughs> you got to save it. I do. What's that in the lake? It's the hand of a beautiful woman. What's she holding? Oh, it's it's Tom. He's going to tell <laughs> us about part two. <laughs> How was it down there, buddy? Are you doing? <laughs> so cold. <laughs> Did you see Paul Giamatti's masterpiece? <laughs> it was like that. Water. I was looking up at his face from below. It felt like a thousand years. So anyway, I think the important things for us to still talk about um, are the Green Knight movie, mm-hmm. um, all of the pop culture stuff, which I'm psyched for, and uh, that could be the bulk of it, I'm sure. The The only other piece that's maybe worth talking about from like the core Arthur story stuff, we're all still recording, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is um, maybe his death? Yeah. Right, because like, that's a canonical That would be interesting, yeah. Yeah. That I don't know anything about King Arthur's death, like what brought it on. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it way faster than Knight of the Cart, um, but I'll just, I'll just do that now. So, like a, a good blending point. We've talked about Geoffrey of Monmouth. Uh, we've talked about Christian de Troyes and Lancelot, and those Round Table editions, and sort of the Grail. And we'll talk more about the Grail. And then um, the the biggest King Arthur story in terms of being the most defining of the specific plot events and the most comprehensive and cohesive narrative is Thomas Mallory's La Morte d'Arthur, which uh, was first written or published in 1485 um, during the War of the Roses. And the title means the death of Arthur. Um, what I just recently learned, this guy named William Caxton uh, published 
the Mort d'Arthur to a larger audience than just the nobility in the 16th century. Um, and he accidentally called it Le Mort d'Arthur, which is actually just the name of the last chapter, the chapter where Arthur dies. Oh, so cool. the real title by Mallory was The Whole Book of King Arthur and the Noble Knights of the Round Table, which sucks shit. Yeah, so, it's a little wordy. <laughs> I'm that glad is they a changed lot. it. Yeah. Arthur death is much cooler. <laughs> Some people, Arthurian scholars, wanted to, like, because of this error, they were like, we should change it um, to either call it by its real title or we should just call it the Arthuriad. And (laughs) like, yes. Yeah, I'd be down. That would have been so cool. Well, and that's the same thing of, like, we want to place it in the tradition of these very important classics. Yeah, true. I guess it also is kind of putting your thumb on the scale in that way. But, damn it. It sounds yeah, awesome. We all do, because everyone wants to be connected to this story, because it like really became a hero story mm-hmm. for the ages. I mean, multiple stories. The thing I really like about these, like hearing them, and even in The Green Knight, the way that a story has so many little micro stories within it. Like, it's never yeah. just one act. It's also like, and then this happened, and then this happened, and like, here's uh, another couple things to color it in an interesting way. Uh like the, I, I don't. We, we'll get into it later, but it's fascinating the the storytelling method. I I love it. I love it. I want more. It's cute. Hell yeah, uh, Mallory is 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 great for that. Like the stories within stories, because he's trying to take everything hmm. he's taking from a bunch of different sources and trying to make a beginning to end narrative. And he does a really good job. So most of the time, if you're familiar with elements of the Arthur story. In the modern day, they probably came from Mallory um, and La Mort d'Arthur. So, but it's interesting. This is what I was talking about before. He was writing during the Wars of the Roses. He was originally a Yorkist and then put in prison when the ruling houses were changing hands. And he saw the world around him as just like so chaotic and so dangerous. And like, I live in a fallen world kind of vibe. So he's the guy that added the Pentecostal oath Uh, which is like the chivalry codex. And after things like this, you know, or we would get codified chivalry in the English uh, state, like the Knights of the Garter and stuff. Right. Um, But I could just read the oath because it's kind of cool. Bring it on. Yeah. So according to Mallory's text, the king established all his knights and gave them that were of lands not rich. He gave them lands and charged them never to do outrageous, outrageousity nor murder <laughs> and always to flee treason. Also, by no mean to be cruel, but to give mercy unto him that asketh mercy upon pain of forfeiture of their worship and lordship of King Arthur forevermore. And always to do ladies, demoselles, and gentlewomen succor upon pain of death. Also, that no man take no battles in a wrongful quarrel for no law, nee, for no world's goods. Unto this were all knights sworn of the table round, both old and young, and every year were they sworn at the high feast of Pentecost. And that's like... All of chivalry, boom, right there. Yeah. And now it's a thing. I really wanted to hone in on how great of a word outrageousity is. Yeah, we're we're bringing (laughs) that that one back. That's my biggest takeaway. We got to put it back into the vocabulary of us, just Mm. for the sake of it. But uh, it's, 
it's it's like it's silly and a lot of it it's not remarkable if you already sort of think that that was like some operation in the minds of middle agey peoples yeah but like it wasn't really standard already yeah because even though these sound like christian virtues which they sort of are depending on spin like it's it's like in each category, don't abuse your power. Mm-hmm. Don't go to war for stupid reasons. Don't abuse peasants who you have, like, the legal right to abuse, mm-hmm. like, unless they deserve it. And especially with regard to ladies, like, don't mistreat them. Like, a lot of people think that the phrasing specifically is talking about, like, don't rape women. Like, yeah. don't take their virtue. Right. Um, and so the lecturer I listened to uh, said that this... Again, it's like a chaotic, horrible time, and he is really trying to chastise, like, knights and lords at this moment, because mm. he, he sees the world, like, everybody is behaving badly yeah, it in seems these that ways. There were a lot of people who were rightly afraid of knights, and all that they could do, like, the, the church was literally, like, afraid of them, <laughs> and uh, it makes sense that there has to be some way to corral these, like, maniacs. With yeah. when people have literally no rights, like not, there aren't and any. There, it's an, an attempt to do that anyway, right? There's nothing. This was just a story, but then the kings of England did adopt it and try to mimic it, not in having a round table, but in having these oaths and this order of the garter, like. And it was it was it's powerful when you have a myth that you kind of believe in and mm-hmm. seems all encompassing, right? You get to feel like you're a part of that. It, it affected the behavior of those that came after, as like. Uh, this is what we will literally aspire to. Mm-hmm. And they never raped again. <laughs> never. Never. It's just, it's a nice idea. There's so much to lose. I, d- I didn't think of the, the that in a essence. I thought it was more of like murder women, but like it's totally raping women. No, and like, it is that too. It's, it's, it's wanton destruction of everything, yeah. right? Like honor, property, people. Um, yeah, that's the cool thing that they drive home in the Once and Future King, right? Mm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Well, isn't it phrased really well in a way I'm completely blanking on? He he constantly talks about like so in that book it's it's Merlin te- Merlin teaching Arthur, uh, and it's constantly like this is why um, the strong Mike doesn't can't make take- right. Yeah, yes, that's the phrasing he uses. Nice. Um, and Arthur will literally say to his knights who like don't understand. Like, yeah. I am trying to change the rule of might. Like, he's trying to bind the world with laws that protect the innocent. Exactly. Well, make everyone accountable, not just those that you can subject to the force of arms. Yeah. Because yeah. violence... His greatest... It's just not going anywhere. Like, people are still going to be warlording and, like, fighting. But at least we can use it smartly, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and in the Once and Future King, it's because Merlin lives backwards through time. He's from the future what? and he's going backwards. Yeah. And as a result, a his brain can't quite. Benjamin Button. Yeah, he is. Yeah. And uh, he's trying to, like, use what he can remember and put in place. Like, he's constantly confused about things that ha- can happen or have happened. It's, it's pretty sophisticated for That's how old awesome. the book is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and he's trying to, he knows that if Arthur can pull this off, like he can sort of save the future and reduce suffering. Um, but maybe not. And <laughs> Arthur is constantly trying to explain this concept. And people are like having a really hard time with yeah. it. <laughs> but I'm bigger than that guy and I want his things. But <laughs> don't, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. Don't. <laughs> Think of so, the wizard. Um, 
and to, to, to that's the end of Arthur's story and like and his downfall, which Mallory codifies most directly. So Arthur has this life of trying to accomplish these things with Camelot and build his utopia and the round table. And so they it's first stabilize our country and make it safe. And then it's try to make it last forever and do the right thing, like treat people with mercy. But he keeps treating people with mercy who then take that in bad faith mm-hmm. um, or who are duplicitous in some way. None more so than Mordred. Yeah. Um, so Mordred is the son of Morgoth, Arthur's half-sister, and Arthur. She casts a spell on him and has sex with him and then bears the baby. And he doesn't know, I think, for a long time that Mordred is actually his son. He thinks Mordred is his nephew. But uh, Mordred always resents Arthur from birth. Hmm. Um, yeah, Mordred fair. is also Gawain's brother. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is a lot of like modern interpretations really conflate Morgana and Morgos. Mor- Morgos? Morgos. 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 Not the little, like, fat bird. Gotcha. Yeah, and Morgan Le Fay is Arthur's other half-sister, who's like the, the witch. Mm-hmm. They're both witches. Morgoth exactly, is just right. worse. Like, so, yeah, it's like an editorial decision to just like, no, nah, that's too much to keep track of. We're just going to really blend in like pop culture adaptations. We don't have mm. to have two characters. Yeah, like in, in Gawain and the Green Knight, uh, or in The Green Knight, the movie, mm. um, like it is Morgan Le Fay who's behind the Green Knight stuff in the poem as well, mm-hmm. but um, it's she's not Gawain's mom, so I see why they did that. Like, it just gives it a little more weight if it's his mother doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. Which I can't wait to understand more, because I yeah. <laughs> have questions. <laughs> I digress. So, to, so, so Mordred has a chip on his shoulder, as do all of the Orkneys. Uh, interestingly, recently, like, in, in the last few decades, there's some movement to, like, reclaim Mordred as, like, a historical figure. Like, no, he was a good king, and he's villainized because he's... You know, Scottish, basically. Awesome. Oh, oh <laughs> <Yeah>. no. <laughs> Perpetual okay. underdogs. Yeah. Jeez. So I, you know, I, I don't really know the um the the history and historiography of what that's based on, but it's cool to think about, and like it's just as likely to be quote unquote true as anything else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but in the story, uh, so this the Lancelot Arthur Guinevere love triangle is happening. As a result, eventually. Uh, through the Orkneys, Gawain, Agravain, Geharis, Gareth, and Mordred plotting, they force Arthur to confront the truth of Guinevere has committed adultery with Lancelot. Mm. And eventually Arthur is forced to have her burned at the stake. Oh! Be- be- because of the laws of his kingdom that it's he loves so right much. the right thing to do. Oh, jeez. Yeah. <laughs> what an ass. So yeah. his, he never wanted to do this, but his he's forced to... Uh, put her on trial at least, if not kill her, and Lancelot flees the kingdom um, and declares war on Arthur to save Guinevere. It's like everything is going wrong. So you have to declare a war on a person? I guess, like, if they're a king? Yeah, you would have to. I mean... I didn't say it, I declared it. (laughs) That's not anything. (laughs) Bless you. Thank you. So, like, there's a great moment where he's, Guinevere's, like, about to be burned at the stake, and Lancelot comes in to save her, and everyone, like, knew that Lancelot was going to come in and save her. 
oh yeah, they've seen this movie before. They just got yeah. popcorn and they're like, oh, I can't wait to see Lancelot do some cool shit. Once in Future King makes it really cool because like all of these knights who love and respect Lancelot volunteer to be her guard and they're like, we're just going to not fight. We're just going to let him take her mm-hmm. um, because they know Lancelot won't kill anybody unless he absolutely is forced to. Cool. So then through Mordred, uh, he gets like a bunch of assholes <laughs> to like start <laughs> fighting Lancelot and he's forced to defend himself. Mm-hmm. And then Lancelot accidentally, not knowing who it is, kills Gareth, who's like, it's very sad. Gareth is like, I'm going to be Lancelot when I grow up. I love Lancelot oh. so much. And he's yeah. his like, little buddy, and Lancelot's been training him. But he's the brother of Mordred and Gawain and Agravain. Yeah. So he gets killed, and Lancelot feels bad about it, and he takes Guinevere. And now the Orkneys are like, Arthur, you have to kill Lancelot. We have to go to war. He kidnapped your wife. You can't be king anymore unless you agree to this because we could never save face. And so Arthur is like forced into war with Lancelot to save Guinevere. Brutal. It's good, right? Like, you know, it has whatever silly medieval storytelling problems it has. But I don't know. There's something about the tragedy that just feels so complete. This is the ending that he was so afraid of, right? Of like everything falling apart. Oh, that's all Atreides. Yeah. He's very much Paul. Jihad against Lancelot. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't and yeah. so like in in once in future king gawain is like hot-headed um but the second best knight mm-hmm. basically and he is like angry and he hates mordred for this but at the same time he can't let his honor like he can't let it go he has to kill lancelot right i i find gawain a very sympathetic character and like probably the most interesting character in mm. once in future king right because his honor demands like loyalties to the opposing force of like his liege that he wants to, yeah like devote himself to so they go to war and uh i sometimes lancelot is forced to kill gawain sometimes he refuses to and they sort of reach a stalemate when they have like a duel at the gates and either way uh, while they're gone and Arthur is there with them waging the war, Mordred takes over England. Yeah. Okay. Um, sometimes Guinevere is there and like they've saved Guinevere and now Mordred is going to marry her yeah. uh, illegally. And sometimes he's going to kill her and sometimes it's just him there. So Arthur and Lancelot briefly reconcile in a way that's not really resolved what we're going to do about it, but it's like we're friends again and there's a greater problem. Yeah, mm. like The Rock and Vin Diesel in That's the right. Fast and the Furious movies. They have to come <laughs> they together. They have to work together. We're family. Oh, shit. Yeah. Which one's Arthur and which one's Lancelot? Uh, it's about Familia, so probably Arthur is Vin Diesel, just because yeah, we're with him longer. That sounds right. <laughs> yeah. I'll do more research. Uh, That'll be a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> so back they go, and they have a final battle at Camlin, uh, which may have been a real historical battle. Um, Arthur kills Mordred, but in do- so doing is mortally wounded by Mordred. Right, and he didn't uh, so have this the scabbard. That's right, he Aww. didn't have the scabbard. Mordred himself is basically a personification of all of Arthur's failures. At least that's how Arthur sees it. Hmm. And so, you know, it's very tragic. That's tough, buddy. Yeah. And then in, you know, in some versions, Arthur literally dies, and in others, he is taken in a boat to the mystical Isle of Avalon where he can be healed somehow magically to maybe return again someday. Yeah, mm. that's also like where Excalibur is supposedly from, like, and maybe it's kind of the fairy world in some versions of it. Yeah, he uh, he gives he gives Sir 
Grifflet? Yeah, Sir Grifflet. <laughs> uh, he gives Excalibur and he's like, throw it back in the lake, bro. And he lies about it three times. What? He's like, yeah, I put it in the lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> Holding it behind his back. <laughs> and Arthur's like, did you? And then eventually he does it. So he throws the sword back into the lake and a hand comes out, catches it perfectly, and then holds it up in the Star Wars Luke Skywalker salute awesome. and then yeah, goes yeah. slowly into the lake. And Grifflet's like, fuck yeah. That was cool. Hopefully that's was so cool. Who, well, that's, that's written in there? Yeah. yeah. Wow. The, specifically, the hand dramatically catches it and then brandishes it and then sinks into the water. What does brandish mean? Well, it means it Wave either holds around. it up or yeah. waves it around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> also, his name is definitely Sir Grieflet, but I prefer Grifflet. <laughs> Grifflet <laughs> sounds like a like battered side dish. Mm. <laughs> Crispy got Grifflets and sweet club sauce. Grifflets. <laughs> um, Arthur, or sorry, Lancelot sometimes enters monastic life. Uh, so does Guinevere. Sometimes uh, they kill themselves, and sometimes I think they just leave huh. quietly hmm. and like retire. But yeah, but yeah, that that that's that well, exactly. And like as you tell the story throughout time, you pick an ending that suits the moral or like whatever your motive was to write the story in the first place. Yeah, and so most of the stories that get riffed on, like I, I the whole way was showing you the Once and Future King. Uh, comparisons, and they're pretty close to Mallory. Like, usually people don't stray very far from the the story beats of Mort D'Arthur. Um, yeah. But but people will always twist it in their own little ways. Uh, so, I mean, now's probably a good time for us to talk about whatever pop culture stuff we want to get into. Okay, so let me set the stage. It's called <laughs> Avalon High. Meg Cabot's <laughs> masterpiece. Oh, <laughs> I don't want to do it. I started the bit, but I already hate it. <laughs> it's a bad bit. Um, it goes in the uh, miscellaneous category of King well, Arthur shit. But again, I guess most of I it does. I think we should dedicate the most time to The Green Knight because I had a great time watching it. And it's the most recent thing to come out that's Arthurian, I think. Unless there's other stuff coming out yeah, right now. Like no, this year. Absolutely. The, the stuff that comes up at that, like, the culture, like, pop culture-wide level, Arthur's, like, every few years. So this <laughs> is definitely, like, the thing for Arthur recently. We could, I, it's worth saying, like, Monty Python, like we said, established yeah. a huge, like, at least visual cue for, like, what we assumed King Arthur looked like. Um, and then they were just kind of weird with it, which I liked, too. Like, <laughs> just coconuts, I guess. It was goofy, but it was my it's my favorite like Christian Arthur. <laughs> like he looks like old paintings from mm. that period of history. Yeah. And they were all about like riffing on what was sacred yeah. to Britain and like sort of poking fun at it. Like, yeah, satirizing it and stuff as a way of both transgressing and showing their roots. So it's a pretty cool example of that. Totally. It's a it's a good example that like you can tell a story in this genre and not just have it be a, you know, dramatic retelling of this tragedy and inspiring tale. Not to be a negative Nancy, but the problem I have with Monty Python is that nerds ruined it forever. Because <laughs> instead of having yeah. a sense of humor, they just decide to say, we're the knights who say me over and over and over again. <laughs> so that's fun for me. Uh, I do like the flesh wound bit, though. That was cute. Oh, sure. No, it's Just got amazing bits, room. but it's like um, what happened after Anchorman. <laughs> like, before the internet yeah. was cool, it was just people sitting around quoting Anchorman. 
Yep. Like, I'm not one to talk because all I do is quote The Office and Mad Men, one of which no one knows the quotes from. So <laughs> it's only for me, <laughs> for my own sake. So, like, I get it. But also, You're like. the most important audience member you have. That's how I look at it. Thank you. You know what? Making Mad Men quotable in conversation might just be my life's work. <laughs> like, I don't know that I'm going to do anything more important than that. Not that I've done it, but I'm, you know, still working a on thing it. Like yeah. a thing a like that. A thing like that. Not great, Bob. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> By any chance, Dan or Sarah, do you want to take the reins on Green Knight as a thing? Like, either poem, movie, both? Well... I I would like to hear because I have more questions than I have answers. So yeah, let's just talk about it generally. Like, welcome everybody. Here's a mini movie marathon. What do we call it? Movie club from Paragon Marathon. <laughs> Bonus at the end of the Arthur episode. We watch The Green Knight. David Lowry is the director. Dev Patel is Gawain, mm-hmm. and it is gorgeous. Gilmore. I was so excited watching it, just knowing like I am going to like milk this artsy ass movie. For years, when people ask, like, oh, what are you doing? What have you been doing? What have you been consuming lately? So I don't just have to say, like, oh, cartoons. Various yeah. cartoons and video games. <laughs> like, I feel good watching I'm sorry. This. It's anime. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, this has, this has depth. This has text to, like, really sink your teeth in. Like, there's, yeah. it's, it, there's some cool shit, guys. I'm excited to get to it. Tom, you were telling us about how, like we addressed earlier, like the, the setting for the Green Knight is inaccurate. Or, like, it's not how realistically the 5th century would have looked. No, it wasn't its goal. Sure. Right? Like, it goes full yeah. fantasy. Like, mm-hmm. with the costuming, the crowns are glorious. Like, they, they are. incorporate the, like, divine halos you see in, like, frescoes and tapestries or stained glass. It's accurate for the mythos of Arthur, which is all like around that, you know, like 1000 to 1400 ish. Um, Like, it's fair that you set stories there now. It's just not historical Arthur. But the Green Knight's not uh, really concerned with that. And (laughs) to its credit, I think like, you know, people are wearing a lot of like leather and like dyed fabric that feels actually really authentic. They're not in like glistening plate no no i have uh, a thing for this the um the costume designer was like look game of thrones exists and like they have the you know the budget to make that intent like very well designed time stuff but she's like i i don't so i'm going to take it a fantasy direction and because the director is vegan she really made an effort to like use uh, pineapple leathers and like fibers oh. from barks and stuff i think like yeah, almost all the costumes are vegan. I know the Lord is wearing furs, and mm. I couldn't find if those were synthetic or not. But well, cool, right? Either way, that's all. Like that's and it's it, not that that is secondary. That's like important for people to do in their in production, like things that are meaningful to them. But also, this movie is very much about humankind's relationship to the world around it, like mm. specifically yeah. nature, and also the people you're responsible for well, and to themselves. Like, how do you view yourself in the world? Do you <laughs> yeah. live up to your own legend or the idea of even making one for yourself? Oh. Okay. Are you a skeleton or a man? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many moments where we. We don't even know we're doing it at the time where we go down Gawain's rabbit hole of self-doubt, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we, we don't even know what's happening, but we're seeing, like, you know, if I give up here, this is what happens. Or, this like, is the if I make future. this decision. Yeah. 
It does it more deftly than Dune, and it doesn't even matter that it does yeah. it. Dune drops this ball so hard. The the, the new they movie. didn't even have spice effects dancing no. across Dev Patel's face. Didn't need them. Uh, no. Didn't need them. Uh, <laughs> that was so. That's a great revelation because I wasn't sure if this was like some mystical aspect of like we're seeing a future because of some magic that I wasn't privy to. Like right. maybe his mom's there is magic. magic. You see early on. His mother mm-hmm. is like performing a spell before mm-hmm. the Green Knight shows up. Absolutely, she she is summoning him, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just wanted to say before we get into the itty bit things, like it's the way this subverts and adds to like the Green Knight and just like medieval romance, like what it calls itself on the title card, like a chivalric romance. I think. Yeah. Uh, Right, like he refutes like all the knightly virtues at different points in his quest. Like it, it's just amazing. It is like a storybook, like the way the chapters frame the individual adventures he goes through. Totally. Now I'm just rambling into like gushing praise of it again. So sorry. Well, there's <laughs> so much great stuff. I completely agree. Mm-hmm. It's a, uh, it's very intentional like are there five chapters i don't know if so but like there, it, it pays special attention to the number five the yeah. pentangle um hmm. it pays very special attention to a feeling of like seasons throughout the movie as well as like the literal text on the page um it does a lot of reference to arthuriana but never wasting plot time on it like if it concerns characters who aren't in this story it's still there but it's in the background yeah. um, it doesn't matter if you know if someone's Merlin, it doesn't matter if you know why a chair is empty. Like it doesn't matter if you know what are what that sword is that we're giving so much reverence, but we're never gonna say like, oh, the sword Excalibur. Like we're just gonna look at it, and Gawain's gonna like feel its heft mm-hmm. when Arthur picks up his sword, and he can like. I love everything about Arthur in this movie. I'm just going off. Yeah, I, I yeah. have to bring like, it, baby. He he's old. But as he should be for most of these stories, right? But he has, he he does this accent that makes it seem like he's this country boy who became a king because he was just like a good man. Yeah, uh, which is kind of the story anyway. Yeah, <laughs> like and in the the poem, he like Arthur is like more young and hot headed and like wants this Green Knight problem solved. Like I will jump across the table to it. Yeah, damn it's true. Uh, so like that's another cool way to subvert and add to. So let's yeah. do the story beats really fast, really sure. fast. So first, the allusion to the fall of Troy. Okay, <laughs> Dan. which is the beginning of the poem. Exactly, and is like, in the that's movie. the format. Oh, right? It's like how you used to invoke the muse, right? You sort of set the set uh, the stage for hmm. like what kind of story you're going to tell. Like this is an epic. Uh, anyway, yeah. And then it, it cuts right to Gawain waking up in a whorehouse. So it's like not just like the, you know, fabled heroes of yore. This guy, he's, he's, he's you know, not your idea of a knight. You're absolutely right. Like, it's so deftly done that you don't even realize how how clear it's it's making things on your first watch through. Or at least I didn't. Hmm. Yeah. Because um, there's a lot to look at. But you're exactly right. Like, it does that with no words yeah. in the opening shot. Uh, and it establishes like the jumping off point and the the goal of Gawain's whole arc as a person. Hmm. Um, so anyway, we've we've had good success with the ten second story. Sarah, do you want to take a crack this time? Dan did it last All time. All right, let me let me shake out, shake it out, get ready. All right, here we go. Gawain, not night. Christmas time. Green night comes. Moss man. 
Moss Man Mean says, cut me down, bitch. And Gawain's like, I'll do it. And then he, the Green Knight kneels down and he's like, are you going to fucking do it? Are you going to do it? Bring it. Uh, but I will repay it in one year. And Gawain's like, I totally get this. I, I get it. And Arthur's like, are you sure? Uh, are you sure? And Gawain's like, yeah, watch me, dog, and cuts his head off instantly. And then the Green Knight leaves, right? I think he he leaves. Picks picks up his head and leaves, and everyone's like, all right. And then they go back to Christmas, and everyone is like, good job, Gawain. You totally understood the assignment and did it. (laughs) And then Gawain's nervous for a year and realizes he has to go face his destiny and goes to find the Green Knight, uh, has so many adventures, meets some people along the way, uh, and eventually finds the Green Knight and has a crisis of, like, I don't want to do this because <laughs> I know <laughs> I won't get back up. But he does have his special mommy belt of, like, I probably won't die if I have my mommy belt on. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he's like, wait. I'm just going to do it anyway and takes his mommy belt off and lets the Green Knight kill him. And that's like a butchering version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. But basically. Well, it wasn't quite 10 seconds, but it was fast. So It's the best yeah, I could do. <laughs> yeah, no, fair. Uh, I had to include Christmas. Yeah, no. It <laughs> is important that it's Christmas. In, yeah, um, I think in the story it's New Year's. And I was oh, going to no, ask you Christmas. real quick if it conflicts. Like, oh, it's a year and a day to the new year. All right, you do you. So Christmas like, is New Year's. Okay, that's what I was going to ask. Like, that just makes perfect sense. it to like Saturnalia? Like the solstice, Yule? right? Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I So I love the way that the movie set it up as Gawain not being like a full knight yet. Like he's not proven. And the concept of chivalry for me at this point when I was watching the film was that like I thought you do unto others as they would do unto you, which is like a much more Christian like viewpoint of it but I thought that it was very similar and then when the green knights like cut me down and he's like all right is it the more chivalrous thing to still kill him or (laughs) or not I thought the answer was obvious but (laughs) I think the movie definitely implies Arthur's like you You've it's got all this, just a game. Right? Yeah, the, like, like it's, he's whispering yeah. to Michael Douglas, <laughs> like you can think your way out of this one, man. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's it's definitely aware of that, and uh, it it does a really good job. Like we don't have to know whether or not Arthur knew that. The point is, Gawain jumped in head first, and nice. Uh, yeah, in the in the poem, the medieval poem, which is seen by most people as uh, most scholars, I think, I won't say most. I'll say the establishment as like the most complex, one of the most complex Arthurian poems and stories. Like it is, it is brilliantly written. It, hmm. it mirrors itself in form perfectly. Um, it's yeah, whatever. It's got layers. And, and it yeah. has like sort of a complex system of morality. That's really interesting to work through. Totally. Um, and this is one example of that. But uh, in the poem, Gawain is already like a knight of renown. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so he's just so it, facing a foe, yeah. like, equal to yeah, him. Yeah, it's like testing and proving and learning about himself because he doesn't succeed at every step, right? The The point is that he's human, not perfect. Exactly. <laughs> and he fails but can still, like, succeed later with humility. That's right. And, like, at the end, the, the stuff around the green belt is is obviously so important. So I think it's worth 
comparing poem to movie. In that, that would regard. be fabulous because I think that there's a lot of context I'm missing. Well, so in the movie, he gets the the green belt ends up being one of the ways we can sort of see that Morgan Le Fay is orchestrating most of what's happening. Hmm. Yeah. In the poem, she wants to scare Guinevere. <laughs> like, yeah, she just wants to scare Guinevere. That's yeah. the whole point. <laughs> and, like, that's another inversion the movie does. It sort of, like, makes her the action of it by, like, having her sort of possessed by the magic letter to read out the challenge. It's, like, she's not rattled by it, and they don't have to be, like, kill the thing to make sure the queen's okay. Yeah. But so, so in the movie, Morgan Le Fay gives Gawain the belt to protect him from harm. Mm-hmm. And he loses it and finds it again at various points. He is, uh, you know, sort of told, you you better use it. And then he thinks that's a reflection on his own bravery and he doesn't want to use it. He's told that he's unworthy of it in the come man scene. That's right. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Is coming on it like the sign of like, you little idiot. You gross, <laughs> disgusting boy. Like, I don't have a read on that specifically. It is. It's definitely to me that scene is. So the scene we're talking about again, obviously spoilers. My, note, like, my notes just say "come." Period. Yeah. Mine say "come, man." <laughs> uh, <laughs> he he. Uh, well, we'll let's talk about Lady Bertilac and Bertilac in a little bit. The point is, he it's like a symbolic visual symbol for him, like failing the chastity test. Oh. For, like, the honor. That's the uh, right? thing I wanted to harp on again was, like, he specifically fails a bunch of chivalric virtues, right? Like, yeah. mm. mercy, he cuts a man's head off, like, in a not fight. Um, yep. Honesty, he lies to the brigands. He's like, I'm not a knight. Nope, not even a little. Can't do that. Well, he's right. not. Yeah, I guess well, not. Sure. Uh, I, like, he functions I, as I, one. <laughs> like, but yeah. he's not one. Like, but I, I agree that he's dishonest with the brigands, so that's, yeah. that's all that matters. Like, right, to not fight them, right? Like, that yeah. doesn't seem like a normal knightly thing. Um, mm. The uh, part with St. Winifred, like, he asks, like, what yeah. he'll get in return right away, and she's like, a knight would not ask that. You're bad yeah, at Yeah, why would you ask part. me that? Yeah, like, like she's, she's so insulted. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure there's more. Damn, but those are the ones that are really solid and get through the first part of his journey. The the then the temptation of Lady Bertilac yes. and Chastity. being o- an honest dealer with Lord Bertilac, and then ultimately the the failure before the Green Knight, which we find out was an imagined future, hmm. like thinking about what it would cost him to fail this ultimate test. Yeah, that yeah. was amazing. That so was good. so. Oh my god, I felt so many feelings. Over that, I was so confused of like, wow, they're really going to invert this entire story and like not have him live out yeah. this ending. And then boom, we're b- right I back I swear to it. God, the ending of this movie made me feel more okay with dying. Yeah. Oh, like, God, yeah. <laughs> because he, he has that moment and we're like, we're so confused when he runs away ultimately. Like it's in the poem. He's he's at the Green Knight at the Green Chapel. He is ready to get his head cut off and he flinches. Yeah. Because he doesn't want to die. Um, and the Green Knight comments on it. And then... Gawain runs away, and we later find out that this was all just, like, imagining if he ran away. But it goes on so long that we're like, I guess this is just where we're at. And he imagines his entire life being afraid of death uh, and always wearing the green sash to symbolize this, like, like, covetousness. Living through the fall of his kingdom, like, after he inherits the throne as Arthur's nephew. Like, it's Watching his son die. Yeah. And I wanted to say uh, there's this cool camera obscura scene that we should touch on more but the portrait from that 
is inverted in his like not real vision. It's yeah. right side up as opposed to upside down as it had been before. Yeah, I am That's so right. into all the times this movie went upside down because that is like such a good threshold or crossing into new hmm. world uh, like signifier. You see it when he jumps yeah. into the water to get the skull of St. Winifred. You see it after he has like a meeting with giants, which I'm less sure on <laughs> what the significance is. I'd love to hear your takes on it. Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened with the Giants. <laughs> Was it just to, like, hey, don't burden another person just for your own comfort? Like, what was that oh, about? I, I think know. the important moment for his development is that he asks for a lift, mm-hmm. and then the Giant is going to carry him, and he flinches away in fear, to which the Giant is like, well, oh, okay, bye. Yeah. Like, right. So I think that's all that matters, and we can interpret that as, like, he has not actualized yet right um he shouldn't be afraid and he's the one who asked for it anyway hmm. just like he's asking for glory he's asking for renown yeah and he seems unwilling to night. actually reckon with that yeah not thinking of the consequences we also didn't talk about how they make puppet shows about him yeah his story Roasting him. like so, yeah. so unnerving he's gonna yeah. die <laughs> come watch children the man who yeah. will die soon <laughs> wow wow so let's talk about let's talk about the the in the poem it's really just the Bertalac castle like yeah. he doesn't have most of the other encounters. Oh okay. Um, no. In the movie he's not named Bertalac he's just like the lord, the lord. and yeah. the lady. The lady is the same actor who plays his brothel brothel girlfriend. Yeah. Oh. I, I did know, not. I didn't even catch. I didn't, catch. I didn't that catch until that. I looked it up. She does a really yep. good job. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so he makes the uh, the the agreement i can't remember what they call it um it's it's one of the title cards like an exchange of winnings mm-hmm. or something oh, yeah, like that yeah. and it's another and one so, of those like sort of rashful boon games yeah yeah exactly and it's one of these things that's like clearly a metaphor for me being tested yeah so he's at this castle um there's a beautiful lady and a handsome lusty lord and a weird lady. Yeah, and the Lord um, says, congrats, the green chapel you're, you've been questing for is just over there. You can kick it with us until the appointed yes. hour. Yeah. Absolutely. So he's going to chill with them for like the three days before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, he he says, let's make a deal. I'm going to go hunting for you or for everyone, and I'll give you whatever I get in my day of hunting, and you give me whatever you get while you're chilling here. And Gawain's like, what nice. do I get? Oh, and he's I like, get I don't it know. now. Wow! How did I not yeah. get that? Oh my god! Gay. <laughs> right? Because yeah. if you don't catch that, you're like, why is he kissing? Why he want kissy? Kissy! <laughs> um, but so, people also read into the poem. Like, this is this is very much in the poem as well. And people are, like, scholars are kind of still blown away by, like, so what are the implications of this? Like, would it have been right for Gawain to fuck that dude? Like, in terms of... Knighthood yep. and honored, like That's or like you know, the like, more chivalrous option. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true, and it like it questions like our conception of like we don't really understand the attitudes towards homosexuality in like this imagined period either. Like, well, uh, yeah, and the the sexual dimension plays on how um, subtle courtly love was in general and courtly mm-hmm. manners, as well as like the expectations. Uh, of someone in this noble position. (laughs) The implications, of course. (laughs) And then also just, like, the cost of your word. Like, it's Mm. it's not nothing. Right. When you promise something, you're you're doing something. Tit for tat. 
Come for come. <laughs> come for come, man. In the poem, it's also explicit that the Lord is the Green Knight, and he also yeah. has a fun oh. curse going yeah. Oh, yep. my God. Do you think that's the same actor? I thought no. so, like, that's what I was looking for. It's not. Okay. But no, okay. Interesting. Yeah, they, they left that part out, but they instead made it pretty clear that, like, everything that happens to Gawain, the fox... The, the bandits, the ghost, getting his axe back, getting his belt back. Yeah. Lady Bertilek and Lord Bertilek. Like, Morgan Le Fay is doing all of it. In the poem, you mm. even find out that the old dumpy lady with Lady Bertilek is Morgan Le Fay. Right. Oh, well, um, there you go. But in the poem, it's not his mom. In the movie, it's also his mother. So there's this this vibe of, like, a helicopter mom. Yeah, <laughs> like, are you doing this for his benefit somehow? Yeah. yeah. Um, that is also the funniest cut in the movie. Is from handjob to woman with blindfold in the corner. Yeah, well, <laughs> devastating ooh. reveal. Yeah, Mom, get out of my room. Yep. <laughs> yep. 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 Weird. Uh, yeah. So, uh, like, I think we've done the the broad points. Like, it's a beautiful movie. It has a lot of complexity, and I'm just so tickled that like a movie in the vein of Arthur, which is associated with sort of like a fuddy duddy old schoolness, mm-hmm. was so. Uh, surprising and legitimately thoughtful, like asked some really provocative questions, um, yeah. both in its text and its subtext. Yeah. I love yeah. the ultimate, uh, like, question of, like, is honor worth dying for? Like, what are you without it? And, like, I think there's room to explore that in a few different answers. Yeah, what, what's and, the uh, Green Knight's line? Like, what else is there? Yeah. Uh, th- yeah. That was amazing. That was amazing. Because, yeah, what else is there? <laughs> right? Like, like, what do we care about? Anything. <laughs> Does anything matter? Relativism in the Green Knight. Well, and, like, I thought the ending just did the weight of your word and your honor so well in a way that did translate, as I said, like, thinking about my own death. Because, like, he sees it all play out and then realizes, like, yeah, I, I can't escape this. Hmm. The decisions no. I make do matter. I can't weasel out of things because... Like this it would be easier. The now yeah. is my whole life, hmm. and um, well. I'm gonna die yeah, one like, way or the other. I saw this really cool discourse talking about how like the whole movie is about like Gwei and finding out who he is, and it starts with like uh, people can't even agree on pronoun- how to pronounce his name, right? Like yeah. he isn't established. <laughs> Arthur called him Garwin. Garwin. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And and there are like two other distinct pronunciations we get. Like his Arthur's Garwin is just amazing. Yeah. But then some people are like Gawain, and some people are like Gawin. Yeah. Um. And I don't know what's right, but you're you're absolutely right. Exactly. Kind of it reflects that like he is you know finding himself. That's why he volunteered for the challenge in the first place. He needs a story. He couldn't like regale Arthur with a tale about his deeds, right? And uh, the, uh, the future site at the very end, <laughs> like where he decides, like, what do I want to be my legacy or just the idea of me? Like, was it important to search after these goals at all? And like, if yes, then cut me, it cut me up, bro. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, as an aside, Sean Harris, who played King, which is Arthur, mm-hmm. um, the director was like, he just started saying it like that one day. And I didn't really know why, but I was like, awesome. A mild stroke. And he's like, use it. No. Yeah, I think it worked. Again, I think it is really good characterization for Arthur. as like this. 
like the the Britain has this yeah. this archetype of this like rural dude whose pronunciation and accent are like crazy, but like <laughs> there's a wholesomeness that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's so sweet in this movie. Yeah, he's like there's a gentle man. I wish side. I uh, wish I knew you better. And like that's the longing that I always want from Arthur, where he's like is a man crushed by obligation, but has ultimately just wants like a simple, happy life for everyone. Like he's in charge of joy in the simple things and wants to value it, but doesn't have time because he has to be king of it. (laughs) Yeah. Has to be king of it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, I, I wouldn't mind understanding more of like the intentions behind summoning the green knight. Was it just to establish Gawain? Like the scare Guinevere. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. But okay, <laughs> that yeah. wasn't clear. A Christmas spook. <laughs> yeah. That's definitely not in the movie. No, That's sorry. not the intent. Yeah. yeah, like I know they use Guinevere, like mm-hmm. to like herald what's happening, yeah. and which was as a spirit vessel. Yeah, spirit vessel. Nice. Guinevere as a shaman did a great thing. job. But mm. like, I was confused as to like why his mom uh, would want him to go through this like did she want him to choose to live over being honorable like was that the lesson she was trying to teach him or was this all like a series of happenstance that she wasn't prepared for like <laughs> i don't know i have i don't know either but i have my interpretation hmm. unless i'd love yeah. to hear it like so from my perspective it's like um she she wants greatness for gawain but there are lots of people who want greatness for gawain partly because the whole point of the round table is to accumulate greatness. Right. Yeah. But the the real point is that Gawain is the inheritor of Camelot and and like the state of things and he's like, you know, to use a the old analogy, it's like he's he's gone soft or he was born soft or whatever. He needs help getting a start. Yeah, on he his wasn't life. there for the grind getting to Camelot. That's so right. He's That's like right. second generation. Because there are there are these key lines that Arthur gives in the speech before the Green Knight shows up, where he talks about how they've ravaged the Saxons yeah. and they now bend their head their heads like babes, and like uh, he's trying to make his knights feel the weight of the things they've done rather than just bask in this sort of glory, right? Right. And then we when we go out, we see like the blasted landscape a few times, both people ravaging the trees and cutting them all down, and the huge battlefields with like thousands and thousands of dead, mm-hmm. and so we're reminded that like. There was some horrific, brutal stuff, both for nature and humanity, that went down that allowed the knights to have this sort of glory. Like, so we, we question its moral value or ethical importance. Hmm. Um, I just like that those details with Arthur. But either way, Gawain doesn't get a share of any of that. So he needs to get moving. Yeah. Right. So like for better or worse, I feel like you got to put in 10, like some dramatic hurdles in front of your son for him to like aspire to greatness or I don't know, become a ruler that's cowardly secretly. I just don't understand why she would put this caveat of like, okay, let's send in this really awesome dude who doesn't die. And then like, he'll kill my son a year later. I just, <laughs> I don't really understand the merit. Like he was never dude. normal shit. Yeah. Yeah. Fair point. Well, and maybe he was never going to kill Gawain, right? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I mean, that was kind of Gawain's choice, I guess. But like, maybe, I, some context. Well, even beyond that, yeah. Hmm. In the again, in the poem, he does not die there. No, but like he he gets cut, and the Green Knight's like, ah, this is because you failed a little. You didn't give me all the kisses, and oh. uh, yeah, yeah. And they part ways as friends, sort of like they say. And uh, like a cool thing about the movie is you sort of get two endings. 
Like mm. you get to see him beheaded yeah. in the possible future after he like lives the life less honorable. Right. And in fear. And like you also get a sort of optimistic end that cuts to black where maybe it is just he lands a little cut, kisses him and says, now you're a good boy. And then all the I wear a green sash in honor of that afterwards to not lie. Yeah. I 100% think that the Green Knight does not kill Gawain. Yeah. Okay. Um, I understand that they gave that ambiguous ending and he says with a super cute, happy face, like now off with your head. It's mm-hmm. great. It's an amazing way to end the movie. But uh, yeah, he does not kill him according to me. Okay. Yeah, exactly. the poem. Because that makes me feel better about it, so I'm sticking with it. Well, because he's passed the test. Like, in the yeah. movie, they do, like, he takes the belt off of his own volition. And mm. in that way, he is, he's throughout he's the movie, but word, especially yeah. there, breaking free of what the specific way that his mom wanted him to succeed. He sees, like, he's, he's come to understand the world. He has his own values, and he genuinely believes them. He's not half-assing this. He's willing to put it all on the line. His mom doesn't want him to not use the sash. Right. right. Like she very much wants him to use this sash. Um, <laughs> and she, I think she thinks that she's sort of got an airtight plan in this way where Gawain can become in more famous and honorable, but not really risk anything. I see. And Gawain, yeah. meanwhile, is learning about the value of risk and what that honor and his word might even mean. Hmm. Exactly. So like, it's not worth it to become a hero if you can't live the, like, you know, walk the walk as well as talk the talk. Right? Yeah. Like it, it's a really cool depiction of self-actualization. I well, like this movie a totally. lot. Totally. Yeah. Because he had fame before. Yeah. He had fame after the initial. Since the puppet right. show. You got, got a puppet show yeah. about him. <laughs> Six seasons in a movie of puppets. <laughs> and, and, and like in the poem, correct me if I'm wrong, but so he, he leaves the green sash on um, and the, the knight gives him the nick for the other failure, for the, the failure of the exchange of goods, because he's Lord Bertilak. Right. But he is like, you know, but good job. You, you've proved yourself a worthy man throughout this journey. And then Gawain's like, you know what? Thank you. But ultimately, I'm a coward because I used this, this green belt. Yeah. Um, and the green knight's like, no, man. What? No, you got that. Like, exactly. you it's, not, it it's not wrong to not want to die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. And now it's and now it's going to be like a reminder of what you went through and what you learned. And then he gets back to the court and tells them the story. And he's like, "So yeah, I'm going to wear this green sash forever as a symbol of me failing and so being I don't a loser. Lie ever again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> totally but all the other knights are like, bro, no way. You're awesome. You did a great job. And now we're all going to wear green sashes as a symbol of being like honest and true, like you. This is positive masculinity. This yeah. is." <laughs> We example. should all get matching jackets. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Arthur's boys. <laughs> wow. Okay. That's fascinating. The, yeah, yeah, I wish I, I was thought... cool enough to celebrate my friend's triumph with a big fashion update. It totally makes sense that his mom is fallible, just like uh, Gawain is. So, like, making these decisions yeah. on his behalf probably wasn't foolproof. Like, there were still ways for him to die or get hurt or lose his honor and dignity. And yeah. But the point was the test and to show that he has these capabilities of making these decisions and doing the right thing. Or, like, or at least yeah, having a I story mean, to ter- tell. Right? Yeah, okay. that's his takeaway. Because in terms of Morgan Le Fay, like we don't know what her exact aims are. In many stories, she is like a, a wicked trickster figure. Mm. So like, um, she's not necessarily doing the right thing. Sometimes she does though, because she's Arthur's half sister. 
So she, a lot of characters like that occupy an interesting space. Um, it, I have said it two times already, but again, trickster position is cool in any mythology. <laughs> yeah, because you, like, you can tie them to, you know, good guy or bad guy side for whatever fits your story better. Mm. So, like, I think we should wrap up by talking about any of the modern day connections that are important to us. Um, so Arthur is many things to many people, as I think we've said a lot of different times. It's cool to think about the biggest themes that come through in the most popular stories, of which the Green Knight is certainly one. Um, but Arthur can be used for everything from, like, nationalism and jingoism mm. to democracy's sanctity to white supremacy if you're a fucking loser mm -hmm. to, you know, honor and chivalry and how those words are, like, really, you know, angular and rigid in my head. But this movie, Green Knight is like a good example of how something about honor doesn't have to be rote and like joyless <laughs> necessarily. <laughs> or something only a neckbeard would say. Yeah. E Dude. Yeah, absolutely. Um, oh it God. encourages you to think about choices that you make and the weight of them. And like, that's kind of what honor is meant to be anyway, but it's kept in this anachronistic spot where it's not really a useful concept for most people to think about. Yeah. yeah, I mean, maybe everyone else is thinking about honor all the time. Well, now, that, <laughs> now that we all have at least a degree of agency and we've kind of escaped the necropolitics situation to an extent, not completely, uh, still billionaires yeah. controlling us in we a have phones, though. very yeah. obvious yeah. way. Yeah, cool. <laughs> but like the, the concept of chivalry, especially when it comes to women now, because we aren't just objects to be won or given around. In or the same symbols, context yeah. of the time. It's like, well, being chivalrous to a woman is nice, but also doesn't gain you that woman now. Where I think that, yeah. like we said earlier, is the disconnect of like it chivalry. It can also cement the patriarchy if like women just exist to be like as a One. test for you to show how good you are. Like, yeah. again, yeah. there's no agency on that side of it. But at the time, it made perfect sense of, like, having a code to discuss, like, what is morally good and what should be sought after. Because it wasn't really established, it seems like. there's Well, because from one perspective, the, the Pentecostal oath is about protecting the most vulnerable members of society. Mm -hmm. Not just women, but women among them. And so that is, you know, a virtuous thing to do. But, you know, it, it's, it's not got any teeth. It originates in fiction. Um, but it does when you put that in fiction and encourages people to apply it to their own lives and to adapt and move around those themes to be more applicable and relatable. Ooh. Like the, the last one, and we didn't talk about this for green Knight, and maybe we should have because environmentalism mm. and like the value of the natural world slash like the old world slash the old way. Yeah. Pre-civilization um, maybe or primordial. You could take it that far, yeah, but, like, our relationship with the world around us is also, like, an Arthurian jam. We've talked, Dan, a little bit about Arthur as he appears in the Fionavar Tapestry Ooh, by, yeah. uh, what's his K. name? Guy Gavriel K. Um, the Mists of Avalon is one that I don't think any of us have read. Is mm -hmm. that correct? But uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley, it's from the 80s, and it is the feminist Arthur text. Mm. Um both to positive and negative acclaim today because some people are like, she took it too far. <laughs> and others are like, <laughs> and then other people like based entire like druidic new age religions on it. Oh. Sick. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's the stories of Arthurian myth through the perspective of women. So like the main characters are Guinevere and Morgan Le Fay and yeah. uh, presumably others. I always want to say Morgana. Is that, 
just hmm. not in this at all? Or is there a different version I'm thinking of? I don't know. I'm sure that there's maybe it's called the Knights her of Morgana. Justice one. Yeah, there's Morrigan, which is Celtic for right. the 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 death the death triad goddess. Well, cool. that's yeah. badass. Yeah. Do we want to talk about any of the natural world imagery in Green Knight? I fucking love that his axe grows like moss and plant life around it. On, yeah, it's got like a Midas touch of like green thumb things. It's freaking yeah. sweet. We had said yeah, there seems earlier. to be like an otherworldly element to the Green Knight's environment. Like it's wintertime, right? But it's still gorgeous and green and beautiful in his like little world. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, so. I want a medieval swamp thing so bad now. I think that would be a really <laughs> solid oh my adaptation God. of this cool, like, tree golem knight. Yeah. When he moves, it's the sound of branches, yeah. like, waving. Can, yeah. Yeah. The scene of him waiting, uh, go, uh, yeah, going waiting for the green knight to wake up from his, like, tree sleep in yeah. an overgrown, like, ruined castle. He just opens cool. his yeah. eyes for a second and then goes back to sleep for a little bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> not time yet. He's not yeah. even sure if they're open. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Was the Green Knight supposed to represent like all of the world and nature, the natural world, and like the, the I don't know, humans' urge to destroy it? <laughs> you could do like a Princess Mononoke retelling of it, you know, with mm. like a super industrial Camelot. I don't know. I think that's there in the movie for sure. Uh, like there, there are again the sh- the blasted landscape shots. Mm-hmm. Like he moves toward more wholesome green places as it goes. Right. But Camelot is like a stony, dead, dusty place. Yeah. And like when he leaves, it's just like that empty field on every side. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then to a battlefield. There's also like he definitely represents nature in at least a basic way. I was thinking about how like maybe there's some equivalency between Gawain chopping off his head and him just getting the nick because like. Nature is always growing back, whereas mankind is like just a little spike of light and then gone. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good um, comparison. Not to not to exonerate Gawain, but I just mean like in in a way that they are not the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Built it's different. There's that amazing quote that Lady Bertilac has in the movie where like she's talking about red and green. Yeah. Mm-hmm. While we're off looking for red, here comes green. When you go, your footprints will fill with grass. The verdigree will take your castles, your swords, your coins, your bones, your virtue. Like, there, there's more in there that I cut out or missed, but... But yeah, dust um, to dust, she, right? Yeah. And like how she talks about how green is, is in everything. Like, it's in rot. It gets into our blood and our wounds. Like, we are so obsessed with these petty things like warfare or domination and like green is just there waiting like a part of us in an unassailable castle. Yeah, Whoa. life finds a way. It's <laughs> that right? That's it. Like I was just thinking about that. That's fucking great. Like being killed by a living thing like whether it's like a virus or a fungus or something like it's growth is what will get you eventually. Hmm. That's Absolutely. that's like some pretty metal imagery. Like we are all worm food, man. Yeah. Like Damn. Yeah. Damn. Uh, I love this movie. This movie's so cool, you guys. I want <laughs> his it's, cloak it's so great. bad. It's like a sweater <laughs> and a scarf and a cape. <laughs> and he's just like constantly folding it over. We didn't talk about how there's like 15 combined minutes of people just touching Dev Patel's face. Hmm. <laughs> like that is every character. Oh, yeah. All the time. You I don't even just know touch what people's that's about. faces. Sure. Pre pandemic. <laughs> My hands meet yeah. face. You gotta emphasize. <laughs> What you're saying. 
Every time I ask Cal to get something at the store, I have to go. He just like cup his face in my hands and said, "Like, please don't forget, please don't forget the oat milk." Please. That's a good way to yeah. And he never forgets. So. Did you? <laughs> never forgets the oat milk. I was just gonna say, did you get pears? Life <laughs> 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 goal accomplished. Meg, Meg, back in popular. Did you get pears? Did you, did get, you pe- get pears? We'll discuss it inside. Oh my god. Yep. That's me, but it's hot dogs. <laughs> <laughs> oh well. So yeah, like we we've talked about a bunch of good we've given you a real good bisection of Arthurian myth, and if there's one takeaway, it should be that it is vast and that it contains multitudes. But also just like uh to reinforce that this is like the most popular canon in the world. Mm-hmm. Broadly, Arthur is a store uh, like a character of whom stories are told about more frequently than like the Greek mythology stuff that's popular in Norse mythology. Um, it's in every culture at this point, like a, a version on it. Doesn't always have to be about Britain. No, nope. but but yeah, all he of those is core concepts. Mister Arthur, hero's journey, Pendragon. Like yeah, he like as far as archetypal characters go, like this is a real standout. Yeah. And we didn't we didn't say it explicitly, but we've all observed that like Arthurian myth could maybe be very comparable to the MCU today, in that uh, which is sorry the Marvel universe. Oh yeah, it's a uh, he has assembled Avengers, right? Like literally, oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. A whole bunch of origin stories, a whole bunch of remarkable people doing their best to save innocence while, you know, learning small moral lessons. Well, and, like, there's um, always a super base, too, right? Like, the Justice League are sometimes, like, in space at a big table. Yep. <laughs> and, like, how are we going to help humans with nightly values? <laughs> like, this isn't this isn't an obscure doc to connect. This is, like, a one-to-one what's going on, right? Yeah. Like, well. And with more stories than just, or universes than just Marvel, too. And it also works for, like, different authors having different takes on what's important or which characters can do what or who's more powerful than whom, right? Like, oh, it's, yeah. it's They've medieval got it all. marvel. And we, what it yeah. boils down to, we just want warrior friends. We just want to <laughs> see warrior friends have fun and learn. Yeah. I also <laughs> want sometimes. them to be color-coordinated like Power Rangers. That just mm-hmm. helps me aesthetically. Um I wanted to say one of my favorite like series of books from childhood. Oh, I, did we already talk about this on Mike? But uh, no. the Predane Chronicles. Like I didn't even mm-hmm. realize how Arthurian it was until we were researching for this episode. Wow. Like he liter- it's just like all the Welsh names were kept. <laughs> and like yep. here's the story of like a mythical founding of a nation where a boy uh, can like draw a sword that means he's king. And it's literally one of the translations of Excalibur, Dernwin. Oh yeah, Hell yeah. yeah. He, uh, the witch Urdu that Arthur kills. Like, yep, she's in there. There's cool. a magic cauldron. It's it's great. Nice. Oh, and an evil witch queen. Yeah. Well, you better believe it. Yeah, <laughs> there's not a movie or book club to do on that. It's just it's real good. It's real good. Yeah, and like we've gone down. We've named a lot of pop culture Arthur things specifically, but there's like always more constantly, and. It's probably at its most interesting when you're taking themes from this or like broad um, arcs and applying them to something else. But I am always excited for any new Arthur stuff. Like I've I've definitely seen the Clive Owen movie more than once, <laughs> which is like <laughs> worthless. But yeah, but it's like that's how hungry I am. 
I was going to say, I wanted to commend you for not mentioning the Super Nintendo adaptation, <laughs> Knights of the Round, yet. That's become okay. A well, it was it was originally track. an arcade, arcade oh, only. It was made for um, Super. Nintendo. The Super one sucks by comparison. It looks way worse. Yeah, <laughs> so my brain Nintendo. definitely remembers the arcade. <laughs> but that game owns. You can pick between. It's a three-player co-op brawler. Mm. You can be Arthur, Lancelot, and Percival. Yeah. We did not talk about it all. No. Nope. But. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the thing. He, is like we could come back and just do like stories of individual knights. There, there are, are so many. many. There are like thirty. Yeah. Well, how many are there? Like know. depends. Bro, who you ask. Oh, how many yeah. knights? Yeah. Hundreds. No, hundreds. <laughs> hundreds of knights. Yeah, and like yeah. they all have really funny names. So I'd love that part. And some of the shields are spectacular. So oh, yeah. Next episode, tune in for Gingalame. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gingalame. I'm <laughs> Got him. Roasted. <laughs> wow. Well, thank you all. Is that it? Are we good? I think well, that's let's, yeah, yeah, like just like a thematic outro. Like just to, or have have we done that? Have we been doing that know. the whole time? Like I said yeah, Hero's no. Journey again. I was like, perfect. Job done. <laughs> <laughs> it's in <Yeah>. there. <laughs> yeah, Arthur is just like a it yeah. Yeah. I love I love how boundless it is. Thank you for for listening to us pull it in random directions. <laughs> Um, it's really fun and really accessible to learn about. Like there are a million different Arthur stories you could get at any time. Some of many of them are public domain. Mm-hmm. Um, do you guys have favorites that you would actually recommend to people, either movies or books or stories or whatever? Avalon Ooh. High by Meg Cavett is a <laughs> young adult saga. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you're 12 years old and you don't have anything else to do, um, that's that's one. You're gonna love it. <laughs> I, I would First of all, what are you doing here? This is marked explicit. <laughs> you better I mean, be listening with your parents to contextualize these f words and cum belts. <laughs> wow. Well, the Green Fart. Knight. Oh. <laughs> Gets me every time. F-words. Yeah. Um, the Green Knight is the one I, off the top of my head that I think everyone should That's watch true. because it's just an incredible film, and like yep. it's definitely it's one of the coolest feelings i've had after watching a, a movie especially in the last couple of years it's like wow i feel connected to something uh that i can't quite explain i guess death yeah that's probably it <laughs> hell yeah <laughs> but um it, and probably monty python is worth revisiting like it's really funny i don't know it's probably it's good. questionable it's- in some parts now but it was from the 70s so we can give it some slack <laughs> <laughs> yeah no i think it holds up um, How about you? The, the Bernard Cornwell books we talked about. There's a trilogy. It really the Warlord like, trilogy. The Warlord trilogy. Yeah, it, it takes a very like you know historical look at it in the sense of like we're going to show you what it would look like if this story was dirty and there are Saxons around. Hmm. I don't know. Like you there's eat yeah. poo for breakfast. No, yeah, it's not like the high no fantasy. Lord. I'm <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And, <laughs> He's also like Mr. British Nationalism, so Lancelot is like the dirtiest, nastiest idiot. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, it really colors your conception of like the best knight. I I love those books. I learned a ton about Arthur reading them, and I learned some things that were sort of counterculture Arthur. Yeah. But the historical setting is pretty accurate. Um, not to the Arthuriana, but to like the fifth century Britain. Exactly. You can um, tell that he's like a historian that enjoys his craft. <laughs> but yeah, his love of Britain and hatred of France is pretty embarrassing because he's like, actually, Lancelot had the tiniest penis in the world. <laughs> yeah, I've written a whole essay on it. 
It's called Get Your Dirty French Hands Off My King Arthur. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, I also recommend everything that you have both said. And I think that T.H. White's The Once and Future King, which is very much mainstream Arthur, like probably the most mainstream Arthur text from the 20th century. It's a novel. Uh, it's five short books, the first of which is The Sword in the Stone, which is like the Disney movie one-to-one. Yeah. Just like him as the wart doesn't know who he is and learning to be a cool guy, good king. The book is really good. Uh, it's it's surprisingly complex. It has some embarrassing 20th century political science, but that's just a product of its time. <laughs> um, and the rest of it, like the, the whole Arthurian tragedy is very well done. Lan- Lancelot is basically the main character in The Once and Future King. <laughs> And he's ugly. He's the ugliest yeah. man alive. <laughs> it's where he's not and, Richard Gere. still yet. rad. And like that makes him cool. Because <laughs> he's got to yeah. work extra hard because he's not pretty. <laughs> and that's how real life is. So there you go. Yep. I Pre-gearification. But yeah. Yeah. Well. I, I wish I had more like contemporary cool shit to actually recommend because most of the stuff that's like explicitly King Arthur is just bad. It's just yeah. like really basic and like... A, Probably a cash grab, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and and we said it, and it's not exactly an Arthur story, but it kind of is like a, a Welsh love letter, mythology love letter. The Fiona Var tapestry is so good. Mm-hmm. Um, I would recommend that. That's more like pure fantasy than historical fiction. Oh yeah, the other uh, yeah, it's all high fantasy stuff. Predane Chronicles by Lloyd Alexander. Hell yeah, super easy reads. Yeah. But you're, you're right that I would recommend nothing as emphatically as the Green Knight movie that we talked about. <laughs> yeah, it deserves our attention and is just going to be fun to watch more than once. I was <laughs> like, nervous so dense. about not because I don't really know a ton about the Arthurian. Uh, well, yeah, now you do. And d- watching the Green Knight. Podcast. Well, yeah, but watching the Green Knight, I didn't really need to. Like it wasn't. Like like you said, it was easy to jump into and watch yeah. the film and appreciate it for what it was. So, highly recommend. Two thumbs up. Two thumbs <laughs> up, my lord. There it is. <laughs> we gotta go out on a strong note, and I think it's on the back of that guy's turnip cart. I Tom, hop jump in up the here cart. <laughs> Ye have no honor if ye hop in the cart. But Quiet, it's dwarf. Full of Take turnips. me to my destination. <laughs> <laughs> Are you lame, my lord? Are you a dork? Hop in my dorkmobile. <laughs> you can't say that to me. I'm shit barred. <laughs> I won't stand for it. Oh, I pooped my pants in the cart. I no. pooped and peed my pants. No. I think we were like accidentally very authentically medieval sense of humor. <laughs> it's all about eating poop. Yeah. There was yeah. nothing funnier, and that's before the internet, so universally. It's poop stuff the whole way through.
you're confident, you're a wizard, maybe you put on some weight, but now you're back to your old self. <laughs> wow. I never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> I never thought it would happen to me. 